Hi, I'm Mary Worden, and this is Premier Health Now on Air, COVID 19 edition, a Premier Health podcast. This is the week of December 14th, 2020. Hey guys, we took a little break from our regular schedule, so I didn't get to talk to you for a little bit. But we're back. Did you miss us? Because we sure missed you. While I was away, it got me thinking about blocks of time that I've been away from important people in my life, like a really good friend, family members, significant others. It can happen for many reasons. Like when my brother moved away for college when we were younger, friends who took jobs in other states over the years, and sometimes you simply go down different paths than the people you love. But that's life. And sometimes you get to see those people again down the road. Now, I've had the occasional encounter with someone I used to know that was awkward. But then there's the other kind of encounter. That's the one where you meet up with someone you haven't seen for a long time for whatever reason, and it's like you saw them yesterday. It's familiar, comfortable, and easy to pick up the pieces exactly where you left off. There are so many reasons this can happen in normal years, but what about 2020? 2020 brought us so many reasons that we've been apart from the people and the things that we love. While I decorated for the holidays this year, it kind of felt like I was with an old friend again. I celebrate Christmas, but I think this feeling can apply to however you're celebrating this time of year. The smell of fresh pine and cinnamon, the sound of Christmas songs I've heard a thousand times, and the sight of twinkling lights, it felt familiar and comfortable too. Even though my holiday activities and the way I'll be celebrating this year aren't the same as other years, as soon as I see my tree and fireplace mantle and lights, there's that special Christmas feeling like it never left. And since we'll most likely be in our homes more than ever wrapping up this year, let's go to the experts to get tips and updates on how to prevent COVID from popping over uninvited this season. Joining us again today is Premier Health's Vice President of Quality and Safety and Associate Chief Medical Officer at Miami Valley Hospital, Dr. Roberto Colon. Hey, Dr. Colon, let's start this episode off with a current update on the rise in cases that we've all been seeing. Well, I think everybody has has really seen um, the, the last two months really have been just a, a steady rise in the number of cases. We've been feeling that across the state and the uh, hospitals um, really started peaking through November. And then over the last week or so, we experienced a rather unexpected plateau, not a decrease, but a bit of a plateau in the cases. The unfortunate part about that is we don't expect that to last. And the reason we don't is we are going to this week be about two weeks post our Thanksgiving holiday. And what we end up seeing around that time is a rise in hospitalizations related to new cases following any holiday. So we see approximately a week out from a holiday, an increase in the number of cases out in the community. And we typically see patients who are having severe symptoms from COVID around that seven day mark 
which means two weeks out of any of those holidays when we start seeing the number of hospitalizations go up, which unfortunately would put us back on track for that um, peak to continue. As we look at predictive models, it looks like the continued rise in cases is unfortunately going to be with us through the end of December and likely the beginning of January. Um, so we're seeing that peak occurring, that the all-time peak for cases will likely occur sometime towards the beginning of January, if the current trend holds. As we get near the end of the holiday season, is there any advice that you would offer listeners to help stop the spread? Yeah, so so as far as the spread goes, we, we really have to go back to abiding by all of those recommendations. If we look at predictive models, um, there are very interesting phenomena happen if we went to universal masking, which is the curve actually decreases. Uh, and we see an earlier peak and a lowering of cases. So it's reflected in the fact that the masks do work, um, but in order for them to work, we got to get more people to use them because it's those individuals who are ill with COVID-19 who need to make sure that they're wearing the mask to reduce uh, the spread as much as all of us need to be wearing a mask to reduce the chance that we're going to be picking it up. Um, so it goes back to the most basic need of adhering to those guidance. The social distancing still holds in place and so do things like um, making sure that we're avoiding the social gatherings. Um, those are really the, the most important things at reducing the spread of the virus right now. Dr. Cologne, is there any way that people can help, not just with stopping the spread of the virus, but is there a way to volunteer or is there something healthcare workers need from the community right now? Well, I think um, the, the thing that everybody right now needs to, we more than anything, is making sure that we get those cases to decrease. Um, there are a lot of different opportunities for those who have um, had interest in um, doing anything else to show uh, appreciation for the healthcare workers at the hospitals, the nurses, the physicians, uh, the respiratory techs. By working through our uh, foundations in the various hospitals, they're, um, they're able to um, do, do donations um, of a lot of different ways. I think a few weeks ago there were uh, some chocolates that were um, handed out to some of our staff. Little things like that go a long way um, towards letting all of those personnel who've been working countless hours uh, for most of this year know just how appreciated they are. Ah, yes. Chocolate always helps. Can you share your thoughts with us on the new CDC guidelines that now suggest a shorter quarantine time? Yeah, so that so that actually goes towards close contact rather than somebody who has been acutely infected. Um, and what that does, um, it really follows some emerging scientific evidence where we know that most people who are going to pick up that infection do so within the first week. Um, and it's a, a much smaller number of people that end up picking the infection um, farther out from that exposure. So what the new recommendations state is that 14 days is still the safest. Uh, if you've been exposed, you need to, um, it's recommended that you have 14 days of isolation. However, the newer recommendations also have a caveat that for most individuals, 10 days would be sufficient as long as they're not having any symptoms and they have not had any ongoing exposures. 
but that could be further reduced down to seven days if the individual has a test that is negative after day five. So that allows that to be further truncated up and really goes along with the emerging science about what we're seeing with the timing and acquisition of new infections. I do agree that it, it's actually a great way of being able to reduce the time away for most people without an unnecessary um, exposure of infection uh, for other people. Certainly the timing would change if people became ill and weren't shown to be COVID positive. Then you go into your standard quarantine. And Dr. Colon, this topic has been discussed in a previous episode, but as things continue to change with what we know about the virus, what would you tell employers who want their employees to test out of a previous positive test so that employees can return to work earlier than recommended, or even to individuals who seek multiple tests in a short period of time? There is no longer a recommendation that people undergo repeat testing as a way of being cleared, quote unquote, to come back to work. Once your isolation period is over, you're able to return back to work. The reason we don't recommend um, repeat testing for negative after a, and this is for anybody who's had the infection, we don't want to repeat it, is because a, a test can stay positive for a very long time. For close contacts, there is also no need to really be testing anybody uh, in extension after that really uh, perfect time will be the 14 day, but now 10 days because the chances that they're going to be picking up an infection from that uh, isolation is so small. It also adds another burden of more and more tests to a system that's already been inundated with, um, with tests that are required for those who are actually having symptoms. Um, so we need to be very careful about how we're utilizing those resources, but by and large, people do not need to have repeat testing that has to be negative in order for them to come back to work after completing either a quarantine or an isolation. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, Dr. Colon is going to update us on vaccines and share some advice about common in-home efforts to remain well this season. Stay with us. We know getting care comes with a little uncertainty right now, but behind these masks, you'll find unwavering dedication, compassion, and protection for you and the care we provide to you. You won't find us backing down. We won't stop. As long as you need us, we'll be here standing strong because it's who we are and care is behind everything we do. Our care lives here. Premier Health. And we're back. Dr. Cologne, our news feeds have been lighting up with updates and information on vaccines. Can you give us an update on the state of vaccines? Well, uh, the first thing that I would share is that it is fluid by the day. Uh, the information appears to be changing daily with regards to availability, timing, and numbers, and that's going to continue for the foreseeable future. Um, there are a lot of logistics that uh, we discuss really being the, the most critical aspect of vaccines. And that's what's going to be the final determinant of who and who's going to get the vaccine and when that's going to be available. As it appears right now, there are two leading candidates to have um, authorization for emergency use by the FDA at some point this month. Um, one of them is Pfizer um, and the other is the Moderna candidate vaccine. 
And both of them are mRNA vaccines, which means they do not contain any live virus um, within them. So they are, they're not a live attenuated. You cannot get COVID. You cannot get an infection from these vaccines. It just cannot happen. They appear to be safe and highly efficacious. Um, and the data that is being made available is not the full set of data because that's, that's uh, actually what gets submitted to the FDA. So for us to be able to speak in great detail about all of that data would be a little premature because I don't have access to it. However, from what we are seeing in the early reports and from the scientists who have reviewed it, it appears that the safety profile is very good, meaning we've not seen significant adverse events associated with the vaccines. What we do see are more of the, the vaccination reactions um, in the first day or two after the vaccines, which are muscle aches, some headaches, some low-grade fevers, a little bit of fatigue, which is what we would see with an immune response, which is what we want to be able to trigger, is the body recognizing the vaccine and producing its own immune response to protect us. What we do not yet know with great certainty is the frequency with which dose happens. Um, and that's um, really what we're waiting for, that, that final information to, to be able to come out, to be able to provide those details to help people feel comfortable if they are going to be those who are going to be candidates for the vaccine. The efficacy appears to absolutely be there in protecting um, those recipients from becoming ill with the virus and reducing hospitalizations from that virus. So that's really what we want to do is protect individuals from becoming sick or having to be hospitalized. The timing appears to be um, within the next two weeks for the first two rounds of vaccines to be arriving here in Ohio. Um, and there's going to be a tiering system where early on the targets for vaccination are going to be our healthcare providers that provide care for COVID patients and then residents and providers in congregate uh, living as well as, fair, uh, as first responders. So those are the, the targets early on for the vaccine, which will be very, very, very limited. Um, it, it's um, going to be an ongoing process as more vaccine arrives that we're going to be able to administer it to more people but it will likely be until sometime in January or February before the large majority of um, residents who are not in healthcare or in any of those groups are going to have access to this vaccine. January and February would be a very quick turnaround for a brand new vaccine. Is that correct? Uh, it is still. It would still be a very quick turnaround uh, to be able to to get all of this done in about a year is is um, a monumental task, especially when earlier this year we were saying it would likely be summer before we had the vaccine. Um, so the pace to be able to complete this has been tremendous. Um, and before the FDA is able to authorize its use, there has to be those safety, uh, the safety goals that have to be met. So that's one of the, the burdens that has to be met before the FDA allows us to be used in addition to the efficacy data that we have already seen. 
especially the second dose. And that's because your body has already been primed and you may get a, a more vigorous response. Now, I've read a few articles and heard firsthand from people involved in the trials that getting the vaccine can be, let's say, intense. But it sounds like you just said that it is actually a positive thing, and that means the body is responding to the vaccine. It, it is, correct. What we don't know is the frequency of each of those um, and the duration. It appears that the duration is very limited, only about 48 hours or so for most people, up into 72 hours, not really weeks of, be, of uh, feeling ill. Um, and th they did not really see any significant systemic reactions that were adverse and severe. So things like uh, immunologic, neurologic damage, uh, that was not really reported in any of the safety data. So and if you think back to most of the vaccines that we get, um, a lot of people will get some systemic symptoms. They just tend to be very mild. Um, what, what we want to see is in relation to that, how is this vaccine going to feel? All right, let's shift gears and talk about taking care within your home. Can air purifiers and or HEPA filters protect you from or reduce the risk of getting COVID? You know, we use HEPA filters in the hospital and a lot of healthcare locations to filter the air as it, um, as it comes through our circulation system before it being uh, recycled because we have a lot, of, um, a lot of different patients. So the air that comes back into circulation anywhere has, has to go through a very uh, specified filtration system to pull out any potential thing in the air. We have seen a lot of HEPA filters um, in smaller units in the home. Um, and the thing that you have to keep in mind is the efficacy of those filtration systems. So you have to think about how much air is being pulled through there and who's going to be in your home. So if you're in your home with the, the usual suspects that live there all the time, um, that filtration system is not necessarily going to add much more to you because you're going to continue to interact with a lot of other individuals. If you happen to be sharing a confined space, with somebody um, and you want to use that as an additional mechanism to help protect yourself, I can't tell you that it will help, but I can tell you it's unlikely to have any adverse uh, effects. What you have to be very mindful for all of those is that they do have an exhaust that's like a fan. You have to be very mindful about which direction that is blowing because it can create other currents in that environment that you're working on. It is not something that we have been recommending people go out and buy right now. Most of the HEPA filters that we have at home are a bit different than what we talk about um, in hospital locations where they're really more designed to, put out, to pull out allergens uh, and other particulates rather than viral particles. And another fun topic for your home and something we've all been in search of since March, or at least I have, disinfecting wipes. With ever-changing information on this topic and the lifespan of germs on surface areas, what do listeners need to know when it comes to wipes? You know, uh, disinfecting wipes do, do exactly what they say. They are going to kill bacteria and viruses, uh, and they can be effective. What we want to make sure is that we're, we are, um, we're doing this correctly. Uh, first of all, there is a difference between disinfecting wipes and antibacterials. Um, antibacterials are designed to kill bacteria and they don't necessarily affect any of the viruses. When we are using 
disinfecting um, wipes that are designed to kill viruses, they tend to be more of a higher alcohol content um, and they are designed to really kill everything. So you have to be very specific about what you're utilizing there. Within your home, probably very little need for you to have to be cleaning every surface with a disinfecting wipe to protect yourself from COVID. Again, you're living with a lot of these individuals. If you normally clean them for bacterial protection and you wanna have clean surfaces, you absolutely have to and go ahead and do it. But to clean every surface in your home for uh, protection from COVID, probably an unnecessary step. In areas like work, um, or if you're going out to restaurants, any places where you're going to be interacting with others, things may change a little bit. The risk associated with hard surfaces to pick up COVID stems from the fact uh, that we worry that if somebody drops respiratory droplets in that, we can inadvertently come into contact with them and then bring them to our mouth or to our nose. The thing is, while the viruses can live in those surfaces for a significant amount of time, it becomes very unlikely that that is a significant mechanism to pass infection. And, um, and that's something that's actually come out more and more, that that does not appear to be a very effective way for us to be picking up COVID. Nonetheless, if you are going to be in a work area where you share with other people where you are not wearing a mask, it's not a bad idea to periodically be cleaning that area. We do it in the hospitalized um, environments very often because we have a lot of um, equipment that we utilize in COVID patients, uh, in the care of COVID patients. And anytime we are removing it from the room, we have to clean it using um, some very similar um, wipes to be able to disinfect them. A lot of the common areas in healthcare locations um, are also cleaned very regularly for that same reason. We don't want to contaminate. The biggest risk is when there is a short interval between one person and the other. So if I have COVID, I come up to a counter and I sneeze or cough without wearing a mask, and you happen to touch that surface between that before that material has really dried up, then there's probably a bit more of a risk at that moment than if I showed up to the counter three hours later and all that material was already dried up. So in reality, in your home, probably not a huge thing. Out in public areas, um, not unreasonable. And Dr. Cologne, with wipes becoming tough to find, what could we use in place to disinfect whether at home or out in public? Well, so, so you want to be looking for anything that has about 70% alcohol. Um, there are a lot of um, solutions and wipes out there. Um, you just have to look. You have to make sure that what you buy is what you intended to buy. There is unfortunately some, some misinformation out there. Um, and you want to make sure that um, these are isopropyl uh, wipes, that they are not methanol. Methanol can, in fact, be very dangerous. And I think at one point there were some, um, there were some wipes that were um, that were pulled because they were contaminated. The other thing that people can do is just make sure that they're using the hand sanitizer frequently. Anytime that they have come in contact with any common areas, just get into the habit of using hand sanitizer. 
And for people who utilize essential oils for lots of things in their homes, do essential oils work for properly cleaning the home? So um, essential oils do not work as a disinfectant. Um, so that's the, the, the first thing we want to be able to separate is they're, they're not intended to, to have any of those disinfecting properties unless they are prepared in other way where they contain alcohol or some other abrasive chemical to be able to help inactivate viruses or bacteria. When we use essential oils um, in the home for other remedies, the inhalation of oils does make some people feel better. Um, and can it uh, help alleviate some subjective symptoms potentially? but it has no effect on COVID itself. Uh, and that's something that, that people need to understand. So if they're using essential oils because it makes them feel better, that's great. You don't have to stop using it for that purpose. You understand that it will not prevent or cure COVID. And we need people to be very, very careful with how they are using essential oils. In any vaporizer or any inhalation form, if there are significant fumes in close proximity, or if they are um, vaporized in, um, in a hot steam where they can be um, aspirated into the respiratory tract, they can actually call inflammation, irritation, and even burns in some cases. So how we use these could potentially be harmful. So these are not intended to be vaped, smoked, um, you have to be careful if you use them as part of a, a vaporizer machine so that you're not in close proximity with those fumes because they could potentially trigger uh, more problems. So again, use with caution, but it is not going to be curative or protective from COVID. And as we wrap up our holiday season, what reminders and advice do you have for our listeners? So again, I know it's been very difficult to stay away from loved ones and friends, um, but with the cases really moving um, moving up and the expected further peaks, we need to really uh, be very mindful before we make further holiday plans. And it is incredibly important that right now, Cold symptoms may be the signs of something much more than just a cold. So please, if you're feeling ill, do not go to work. Make sure that you're staying away from others and contact your provider to see if you need to be tested for COVID. We have many more holidays ahead of us if we are careful with this. As always, thank you so much, Dr. Cologne. I hope... Just like an old friend you haven't seen in a while, your holiday season feels warm, inviting, and exactly how you need it to feel this year. You know what? Because you deserve that. And just to keep you in the loop, because that's what good friends do for each other, we are going to be taking another break, but don't worry, we'll be back the week of January 11th. From all of us at Premier Health, we wish you and yours a healthy and joyful holiday season. You can get more information 24-7 at premierhealth.com COVID-19. This has been Premier Health Now On Air, COVID-19 edition, a Premier Health podcast. Our care lives here.